0: In the 16th century, in a place called Rathan, a minister of the gospel, he preached on the same verse of scripture for so many consecutive Sundays, okay? The same verse of scripture for so many consecutive Sundays that uh, eventually his exasperated congregation, (laughs) what they did was go to presbytery, get presbytery to come into the church and implore the minister to please, sir, turn the page. Please, sir, turn the page. That was the 16th century Scotland. Well, maybe there's a sense in which you feel like that a little bit. This evening, I have been... the. Pastor here for what is it, three and a half years, and this is already, I think, the third, maybe even the fourth time that we have looked at these verse together as a congregation. So is that a problem? Uh, should that be a problem? Well, no, I'll tell you why. What we've got before us this evening in this short section of scripture is absolutely vital to the health of the congregation here at london city presbyterian church this stuff we are looking at is is incredibly important now how can i say that what what, what's my justification in saying that this is very important tell you what just look at your bible look at the very opening phrase that paul has here in this section what does he say he says, "Here is a trustworthy saying." Now, does here is a trustworthy saying? Does that sound familiar to you? Wait a minute. In chapter one, when Paul was trying, or when Paul was underscoring, underlining the importance of salvation, what did he say? He said the same thing. He said, "Here is a trustworthy saying." Do you, so, do you see what we've got here? Do you see what Paul is doing? He is, in this expression, underscoring the importance of what he's about to say. In that expression, he is showing us the importance of the eldership. So, let me say this before we get cracking, okay, before we get into this this evening. Please bear in mind that what follows is not a talk by me on a subject that you know very well. If we're thinking like that, we might as well just close all the books, switch off the lights, and go home. What follows this evening, we have to understand, surely, is the word of Almighty God. And understand, please, that at every juncture this evening, and everything that we look at, God willing, the Holy Spirit will apply this stuff to whom? Not just to the elders who are gathered here tonight but to every single one of us. So please, would you note well the title of this evening's sermon? This isn't the elders. This is the elders and you. And here's the plan, okay? The hope is that tonight, this evening, we'll look at three things from those uh, verses, eight verses or whatever it is. Three things, okay? Let me just set them out before you um, Just now. First of all, God willing, we will consider the tasks for the eldership. Then we'll think together about the traits of the eldership. And then, God willing, time permitting, we will also consider the threats to the eldership. So you got them? There's the tasks, there's the traits, and then the threats. To the eldership. That's the agenda. That's the plan. That's the hope. So, with that, could you please turn back uh, to First Timothy and uh, to First Timothy chapter three and verse one? Have that in front of you, please. Okay. The first one. What was it? The tasks for eldership. Uh, Right. What we're dealing with here in this first point is. The task for eldership, it's the, it's, it's the function, if you like, it's the role of elders in the life of the church. I'll tell you what it isn't. Tell you what we're not dealing with. We are not dealing with what you or I think the elders should do. Who cares what you or I think about it? What we're thinking about here is what Almighty God tells us the elders should do. Okay? Now, I think the first thing that we have to wrestle with, perhaps, or address, is the title that God gives to this office of elder. So maybe you see that with me in in verse 1. What does God call this? Paul says, here is a trustworthy saying, if anyone sets his heart on being, what is it, an overseer, Now, this is important, in the New Testament, that term there is used interchangeably with other terms. So we will hear of an overseer, but we will also hear of a bishop or an elder. And those terms in Scripture, they mean the same thing. They're, They're used interchangeably, so we've got that. But also in the New Testament, we see that God envisages a plurality of overseers in the life of a congregation so do you see what that means it means the idea of one bishop in a church idea of one minister that's not it there's to be a group of elders or overseers in the church a plurality of elders so you got it elders overseers bishops interchangeable there's a group of them in the church okay fine what are they supposed to do what's the job of an overseer in the church well I'm, I, in no sense am I, I trying to patronize anyone with us at all but let's say a child came up to me earlier on uh, at the fellowship lunch and said andy uh, what is it that a builder does i might say to the kids. Uh, A builder builds. And if they came up and said, well, Andy, what does a joiner do? Uh, If I'm pushed for time, I might say, uh, well, a joiner joins, things." Well, wait a minute, what does an overseer do? Why is God calling an overseer an overseer? Do you see it? An elder oversees. Now, this is important. In God's eyes, the function, the role of an elder in the life of the church is to do what? It is to supervise. It's to govern over the the spiritual affairs and the spiritual lives of the people of God. You see it, don't you? An overseer, he oversees. But how does he do that? Well, if you just look down at that section of Scripture that you've got in front of you. Now, even if you glance at it, or if you remember what paul read out you'd agree with me wouldn't you that the bulk of what you've got there is really about what elders should should be like isn't that right aren't there a lot of sort of requirements or sort of characteristics in front of you an elder should be like this and an elder should not be like so forth right so it's about and we'll get to all of that what an elder should be like and, and, and and the characteristics he should possess but i do think in amongst all of that we do get a couple of clues about how elders are to govern and oversee. So I would ask you just to do this with me. Would you look at verse 5? Now, verse 5, you've got this awesome argument, if you like. It's a lesser to the greater argument, don't you? If an elder, let's say, does not know how to manage his own family... What's the argument? If he doesn't know how to look after his family, what, then what's the argument Paul's making? How can he take care of the church? Okay. And we see the argument, but notice the language. Like, how can he take care of the church? But wait a minute. How, how is an elder to govern? What is the role of an elder? He is to care for the church. He's to take care of the people of God. And do you know what's very interesting? That verb, I think, is used only one other time in the whole of the New Testament. Do you know what it's used? It's used in the story of the good Samaritan. Now think of that story. That is how an elder is to be in the life of the church. And I think we even get a peek into how he can care in verse 2. Look at this. An elder, God demands... Is a hospitable man. So do you see it? An elder is to care, but care through opening his house. So I hope you're following me. We're thinking about what an elder is doing. We think that his job is to govern. An elder is to care. But there is also a third thing here. And I suppose it's kind of the obvious one, isn't it? Let's say I went round everyone tonight and said, okay what's the job of an elder? Uh, Or, if I phrased it like this, if I asked you, okay, what's the distinguishing feature between an elder and a deacon? I'm guessing quite a lot of you would just repeat to me what you've got here in verse 2. What's the distinction between an office of elder and deacon? Look what Paul says. What's an elder to do? An elder must be able to teach. Now, um, We've looked at that recently, haven't we, as a congregation, the idea that an elder is to teach. So I'm not going to linger on that. I just want to pose this question to you. What does that really mean? And what does it look like that an elder is to teach? What does it mean? Does it mean that all elders in a a Presbyterian church like ours, does it mean that all the elders have to be sort of budding Martin Lloyd-Joneses? and, you know, absolutely sort of charismatic, eh, proficient preachers loving being behind the pulpit. Is that what it means? We know that that is not what it means. Like later on in the Bible, what Paul is going to do, he's going to draw a distinction in the eldership between the elders who are given to preaching and the elders who are not given to preaching. So do you see it? It's not that they have to be given over and dedicated to preaching. That's not what it means. No, I think we get an idea of what it means from what what we read in Titus. We read this, elders should be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. So do you see it? An elder should teach, what is this? He should be able to disciple the people of God. So there is this call to govern oversee there's this call to care and there's this call to teach okay what did i say at the start i said that there would be application in this for every single one of us so are you listening now we see here that we see here the function of elders we see what the elders should do i wonder in that tonight Do you see part of your role and function in the life of the church? Surely, in light of what we're seeing there, you and I must be assisting, enabling the elders to do their jobs. So I just want want to ask you this. What have we seen? An elder should teach. So are you a teachable Christian. Like, as a Christian, do you have a teachable spirit? Do you? Like, everyone remembers uh, last week and the sort of controversial stuff that we were dealing with last week and uh, the role of the woman in the church. Remember that? Remember what God said? And we, we 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 learned that a woman should learn in the life of the church. But wait a minute, how was it that the Holy Spirit put that exactly a woman should learn with full submission. Now, is that all of us? Are we like that? Are we submissive? Are we receptive to the to the teaching of the elderships in our preaching, in our Bible studies in this church? What else have we said about the elders? The elders are to care. Well, turn that on its head. I mean, are we open to being cared for in the life of London City Presbyterian Church? It's not easy, is it? I mean, are we willing to open our lives, to open ourselves to the eldership of the church, to accept invitations of hospitality from the elders? Are we willing to do that? What was the other one, the last one? Elders are to govern. Well, are we governable? are we? I mean, in this sort of individualistic age, you know, where ego, personality, our rights are to the fore. I mean, think about our our, our situation, our our hearts, are, are, are we truly governable? Or do we resist the realities of church membership? Do we? Do we resist this authority that God has called the elders to give in the life of the church? It isn't easy, is it, when we begin to to, to look at this. Paul says at the beginning here, uh, here's a trustworthy saying, and he says that the eldership, the overseers, it's a noble task. That's what Paul says. And every one of the commentators goes on and on and on about the fact that he calls it noble and that's wonderful. He also calls it a task. You know, the, the role of an elder is not easy. But we can make it easier by listening in Scripture to what God calls for from ourselves and obeying His will. So we see the tasks For the elders. Second thing that we see is the traits of elders, the traits. That's our second T, the traits of the eldership. Okay, this is how I used to listen to sermons when I first became a Christian, okay? Whatever the minister was preaching on in the church that I was attending, I would apply that... (laughs) Not to myself. I would apply that to the people who are sitting around me and the people that I knew. So let's say the minister was speaking on laziness or sloth. I'd sort of sit back in the church, put my feet up and I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm glad so-and-so's in tonight because they really need to hear that message. And I would apply it to everybody else, but I would not apply it in any way to myself. It's probably a, well, oh, definitely a sign of spiritual immaturity. Now, of course, the danger here tonight is that we do the same thing with this, don't we? You know, uh, we sit back and we think, oh, the elders need to hear this. And we do. But I want you to get this right. Yes, this list of traits and characteristics that we're dealing with here, or we're coming to now. Yes, the elders are called to be above reproach. In these things. Okay, so the elders are called to manifest these things in their lives very, very clearly. But here's the uncomfortable truth. We are all, as Christians, called to manifest these things. Well, these things, they're for all of us. So this is what I would urge you to do. Like, as we look at these traits just now and we think about, you know, what an elder should be and what he should... Be examining your own heart just now. Okay? What qualifications should uh, an elder possess? Okay. Uh, here's the problem with this tonight. There are too many of them. Aren't there? If you see what you've got in front of you, this list of traits and qualifications. If I was to go into each and every one of these, we would be here (laughs) well past Easter anyway, if not into the summer. There's an awful lot of them. So instead of that, what we'll do is we'll consider this phrase and try and unpack it. An elder should be a well-balanced man. An elder should be a well-balanced man. Now, what do we mean by that? Well, I think from this list we can see that, first of all, an elder should have a well-balanced family life. Like, I think it's two or three of you in the last maybe six weeks have come to me with the same question. And you've asked me, see when Paul says that an elder Should be the husband of but one wife. Does that mean that only married men are allowed to be elders? Now, I think if three people have asked that question, now you you see that is not the case, don't you? Like you see the situation into which Paul is writing here. He's writing into you know the debauchery and the immorality of the this Roman Hellenistic world, if you like. And do you see what he's he's saying here? Not only is he obviously forbidding polygamy, which was tolerated in some quarters at the time, he's also really calling for elders to be men who display a healthy biblical idea of morality, but especially in regard to marriage. A biblical healthy marriage. But it doesn't end there, does it? Because he also speaks about kids. So we look at verse 4. An elder must see that his children obey him with respect. That's a difficult one for the elders. But we see the logic for it, don't we? How can a man manage God's house of his own? is a mess so an elders have a well balanced family life and i think we also see from this list that an elder must have a well balanced character we see that positively negatively don't we if you, if you look how the list starts in verse 3 we're told that an elder must be self controlled must be temperate and we can see why if you think about the decisions that an elder has to make Personally, in in counselling, or for the life of the church. You kind of want your elders to have at least some degree of of sense. But then, there's a negative side if you see verse 3. Elders mustn't be violent men. Elders mustn't be quarrelsome men. And would you notice what God does call for? And men in here, would you notice it? Do you see it? He demands that elders in particular demonstrate a godly strength. How does a Christian man demonstrate godly strength? What is it? Through gentleness. So elders are to be gentle men. And then the last element of this, elders must have a well-balanced lifestyle as well. I think here we see the idea of balance Do you see what I'm getting at with this idea of balance, don't you? See, in verse 3, there's a couple of prohibitions. Elders are not allowed to be given over to drunkenness. Elders are not allowed to be given over either to the love of money. So do you see the idea of balance? Like God does not want elders who are leaning on things one way or the other. He doesn't want elders who are leaning and resting on drink and booze doesn't want elders to be resting, leaning on their wealth. What does God want from elders? He wants them to rest exclusively in the Lord Jesus Christ. What did I say at the start of the point? Did you examine your own heart? I mean, are there are areas there in that list that disturb you by the Holy Spirit of God? I mean, are there things there that you know are true weaknesses in your own life? You quarrelsome. Is there a lack of discipline? Is there too much of a love of money? Is your family life a mess? say to you all tonight, listen to, to God. Take that to Him in prayer. Because see this list of characteristics. It's not just to inform how we vote in the next election of office bearers. You see, it's bigger than that. This list we should examine. And elders here and the rest of us, this should drive us in repentance to God. And then we'll close with a third thing the threat. To the eldership. The threats to the eldership. Uh, we begun in 16th century Scotland. In a place called Raffin, With our minister. Re- <laughs> preaching on the same text. Week in, week out. That's, an, e- that's a, an easy job that. Isn't it? Repeating the sermon the same text every week. So we begun in 16th century Scotland. We're going to end in 16th century India in a place called Panipat near Delhi now what had happened (coughs) Panipat was the, the site of a very famous battle in India in the 16th century forces from the north had come down from Kabul and they had come down to near Delhi where they were wanting to attack and defeat the forces of the Sultan of Delhi But they had a problem. The problem was that they had 12,000 men, whereas the Sultan of Delhi, he had over 100,000 men. Okay. So what did they do? Well, what they did was attack the Sultan's forces strategically. They found out where the leadership of the sultan's forces were gathered and staying. And so all 12,000 of them attacked that location, left everywhere else, attacked there. And what happened? The leadership were defeated, and the 12,000 men defeated ultimately the 100,000 men. Famous instance. Famous. Why am I talking about it? Well, the same thing is in danger of happening in the church of Jesus Christ. Did you see what I mean? Tell you what, do this with me. See, if you can notice the repetition in this very, very short portion of Scripture that we've read. Would you do that? I mean, we're closing with this. So if you look at verses 6 and verses 7, I think you'll see it. What's the repetition? Verses 6, verse 7, do you see it? What happens? What does he repeat? Twice Paul makes mention of whom? The devil. Like twice in the short section of scripture, twice he makes mention of the work of Satan. So do you see what, what Paul is doing there? He's reminding us that what we're dealing with, it's not just about the organizational structures of the church. He's reminding us in that, that London City Presbyterian Church, we are engaged in a spiritual war. We're at war. And then notice exactly what Paul says in verse 7. Would you note it with me? Look at verse 7. An elder must have... A good reputation. Why? So that he will not fall into... How does it end? Look at the end of it. So that he will not fall into the devil's trap. Do you see what we have been told? In this war, the spiritual warfare in which we are engaged, what is Satan doing? He is using the same military strategy as the northern forces. Isn't he? What is he doing? He is seeking to attack the figures of authority. What's he saying here? He has set traps for whom? For the eldership. And I ask you, is that not something that we, that we see time and time again? You know, if we think about the evangelical church right across the globe, if we hear about the stories that are coming out of the, the church in the United States, what do we hear about? Hmm? We hear about elders time and time again giving in to temptation. We hear about ministers and elders who are having extramarital affairs, don't we? We hear about ministers, elders, who are given over to this new love of possessions, love of money. Elders giving into Satan's trap. And so this is how we close. I'm going to ask you two questions and then we're done. Question one. Do you complain... About the elders in your church. Is that something you are prone to doing? Do you speak about those who are over you in the Lord behind their backs? Have you planted the seeds of dissatisfaction with your elders? Have you planted those seeds in your children? And those that you socialize with, do you see in light of what you're reading here what that is? That is doing the devil's work for him. That there is playing into Satan's hands. And the second question I will ask you tonight, in light of the military strategy of Satan, Are you regularly praying for the elders at London City Presbyterian Church? Do you pray for Brad? Do you do that on a daily basis? Do you pray for Peter? Do you pray for Gabriel? Do you? One commentator says this. He says, the elders of the church, they are subject to the most intense spiritual warfare of all. So, are we praying for them? Are we praying for their spiritual well-being? Do we pray that they will be able to resist these traps, these temptations of Satan? And you see why that is so incredibly important, don't you? Because we're at war. And what are we at war for? We're at war for the gospel. Friends, the role of the elder is key. Not just because we learn the scripture that Jesus Christ has established this role. We learn and we know that the role of the elder is key because in his infinite wisdom, God has decreed that these structures are how he wants his church to function for the furtherance of the good news across the world. So I'd ask you to consider carefully What God is saying to you tonight. To pray for your eldership. Why? So that Satan would be thwarted. And so that Christ Jesus would be praised in the name of this church.